0: This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to the December episode of TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. For this final episode of the year, I wanted to focus on the future and on hope. Back at the end of October, the TSC Alliance and the Lamb Foundation co-hosted the Virtual International TSC and LAM Research Conference, Driving Discoveries Beyond Boundaries, which was presented by Greenwich Biosciences and the Rothberg Institute of Childhood Diseases. This three-day virtual event brought together 179 people from 18 countries, including researchers with a wide array of specialties and representing everything from basic to clinical science, who all took part in plenary sessions, oral presentations, posters, and discussions around cross cutting topics, including big data and clinical translation. To learn more about the conference, the outcomes from those important discussions, and what the future of TSC and LAM research looks like, I talked to conference co-chairs Nishant Gupta and Rebecca Erie. Here's our conversation. So we're now joined by the two co-chairs of the 2021 International TSC and LAM Research Conference, Dr. Nishant Gupta, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Cincinnati, Director of the LAM Clinical Network and Scientific Director of the LAM Foundation, and Rebecca Erie, Associate Professor of Cell and Developmental Biology and Neurosurgery at Vanderbilt University. Rebecca, Nishant, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here.
0: So I guess to start the conversation, what were your general impressions of the research conference. You know, it was a different format this year. Obviously, with the ongoing COVID pandemic, we had to do it virtually. How did you think that went and what kind of engagement did you see? And Nishant, let's start with you.
2: First of all, Dan, thank you for having us at this podcast. You know, my general impression of the conference overall and the format itself was very positive. I have to be honest, I had some trepidation about the virtual format, you know, especially considering all of us have some degree of Zoom fatigue And I was worried about especially how the discussion sessions will go, which is how the afternoon sessions for both days were set up to be. And, you know, as as we all well know, as part of this community, when you're in a room together, this is a community that is very vocal and forthcoming about uh, devising solutions. I just wasn't sure if that was going to play out well in a virtual world. But overall, actually, I I thought it went very well. I thought the discussion sessions were quite lively and provided some good solutions. I think another feature of this virtual format where we had pre-recorded talks that allowed a simultaneous chat with the speaker as they were talking. I thought that was a nice element. If I have to pick one thing to improve, I would have liked to have a conversation with the poster presenter rather than a written chat, but maybe we'll reserve that for the next pandemic.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely second what Nishant said. Having been a participant in many Zoom events at this point, which I think is the case for many of us, (laughs) I too was slightly worried, but I think what really helped this one succeed is that the community, as Nishant mentioned, is extremely interactive and many of the attendees have been coming to these conferences for many years. And so we, to some extent, know each other and are very comfortable sharing ideas even across the virtual format. So I think that was very helpful in kind of maintaining the lively tone of the conference, even though we had to be virtual because everybody was really very comfortable as far as best as I could tell in participating in the written chat during different speakers' presentations. We had really excellent attendance at the afternoon breakout sessions. The one concern as a conference organizer is always going to be that people will kind of drift away as the day goes on. But really everybody stayed, everybody talked, people came with exciting ideas. And I have to give a lot of credit too, to all of the various like interns and members of the TSC Alliance who helped us cover all of those breakout rooms and make sure that all of the ideas were brought back to the main group. So that was just incredibly helpful.
0: So the general theme of the conference was driving discoveries beyond boundaries. And now that it's been a little bit since the conference actually occurred, what sessions or topics or discussions did you find most interesting or impactful?
1: One of the overriding themes, although there were multiple ones that were highlighted by the group that did the summing up at the end of the conference, but one of the ones that I certainly heard from multiple members of the organizing committee was that the field seems to be kind of transitioning from a stage where we we didn't have as many tools to look at tissue-specific, or organ-specific manifestations of TSC. Those just were much more difficult to examine in the lab until very recently. And I think one of the things we saw at this conference, all the way from the keynote down to the early career researcher presentations, is that now we have these incredible suites of tools that let us not just model TSC and LAM generally, but to say, okay, in this cell type in the lung, in this cell type in the kidney, you know, how does this disorder affect these cells? And how does that tell us more about what we can offer for specific symptoms in patients? That to me, kind of the transition from understanding TSC and LAM generally, which is an incredibly important foundation to getting much more specific about you know how the brain and the kidney and one, in mean, each tissue is affected individually it was a very exciting advancement.
2: Is it fair to say all of them? I'll second what Rebecca said, and Rebecca has captured it perfectly and beautifully, and that the excitement from new tools and new technology and integrating into answering the questions for our community, that really was a major highlight for me. You know, it's one of the worries as you start looking at the new shiny tools or technologies is that you often try to focus on the technology itself and you uh, fear the risk of losing sight of the fact that technology or tool is just a way to answer the question for the field and not the other way around. And that's something that I thought was really well done and is generally always well done in this community, which is just such a disease and mission focused community that we just think about, this is the question in hand. Now let's think about how we can use the currently available tools or technology to answer the key questions. I was excited to see how, for example, these technologies are giving new insights at a cellular level, how they are helping us go beyond mTOR signaling and understand the interaction between the mutated cells and the rest of the environment. Talked about using these technologies to predict the future and how we can intervene early by using that information. There were sessions focused on how we can integrate the data from all of these technologies and put it to the larger community to accelerate research and enable new investigations to enter the field. So there were a number of things that were tied to how we are using this new tools, new technology to further the field. That was very exciting. And I should add that the keynote speak by Daphne, that was out of this world. I think she might be one of the smartest people I've ever heard speak.
0: So you both have mentioned that this community of researchers, both in TSC and in LAM, are very active. They enjoy coming together to work collaboratively. And this conference was actually co-hosted by both the TSC Alliance and the LAM Foundation and included presenters from various specialties, from basic science to clinical research. What are the benefits of bringing all of these researchers from different specialties together and co-hosting a conference like this? And how can the two organizations work with these researchers and how can they work with each other to continue to move the work forward after the conference?
2: I think the benefit of co-hosting this with the TSC Alliance and the Lamb Foundation in, in one word is I think is immense. The Two organizations have a long history of collaboration. It sort of stems organically from the fact that the mutation that causes LAM is the same as the mutation that drives tuberous sclerosis complex. So the discoveries in one field are easily relatable and translatable to the other field. And in fact, through the years, LAM has benefited a lot from advances that have been made in TSC. And that's again, because of the central fact that the disease driver mutation is the same. You know, the other big reason why it helps To have joint conferences is that it sort of expands our horizons beyond our narrow scope that we often sort of pigeonhole ourselves in. For example, on a day to day basis, a LAM researcher may not be thinking about the neurological aspects of TSE and vice versa, while we may be trying to tackle the same or a similar problem in our silos and just being able to hear how someone else is tackling a similar problem i think that often gives us innovative ideas that helps form new connections new collaborations new friendships and i think that can only be good and you know worth mentioning that the two organizations held a joint conference you know back what 4 years ago in 2017 in washington dc and i still remember just how fabulous that conference was and how much i just enjoyed hearing from different folks and the tsc and making new connections. And this conference was no exception. These conferences tend to generate a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement. And it is upon us now to make sure that that flame doesn't extinguish, that we keep the momentum going. One of the things we can do is to follow up on some of the action items that were discussed or proposed as solutions and getting that feedback back to the community on concrete progress that we are making. I think that's one step we could take. For example, Collaborating on the TSE preclinical consortia or getting the Lamb Cell Atlas out. These are just a couple of examples at the top of my head. And the other potential solution here is to make use of some of our learnings from the pandemic. You know, we started this conversation discussing Zoom fatigue, but let's also acknowledge that there have been positives from a learning that we can easily meet via these virtual mechanisms. And I think there's an opportunity there to periodically connect with our community communities using the virtual mechanisms and the ease that it offers by not having to organize some big in-person event and the costs and logistics of travel, et cetera, that come with it. You know, I'm not saying that we need to have a two-day conference every few months, but if we pick targeted topics, there is no reason why we can't have more small virtual sessions that keep the community engaged and energized and moves the field forward faster.
1: I will second everything that Deshant said. There's a concept in genetics called hybrid vigor. So, for example, if you have two related plant types and you cross them together, their offspring tend to do really, really well because they can bring together traits from sort of both lines. And I think there's an analogy to be made to bringing together TSC and LAM researchers there because having a fresh perspective on some of the scientific questions that you're examining and having to think about your own work in a way where you can explain to people who are not within your, you know, tiny slice of science why it is important causes you to step back and think about your own projects, to think about others' projects, and to see those connections, I think, more effectively. So having the joint conference, I think, is incredibly valuable for that reason and even on a technical level, science is at a very exciting point where there are so many things that we can do. It is very challenging for any one person to be completely expert in all of them. It's not an achievable thing. And so coming together with people who know how to do different technical approaches can also, you know, enrich both your own projects and the field generally, because there are so many things that it's really only possible to do collaboratively. And to do that, you have to meet people and And know what things they are doing, know what they are expert in. So I think having this group of people come together periodically is one of the key ways to make that happen. And as to what do we do to keep building on it, I will agree with Michonne that although there is a lot of value to sometimes everybody being together in the same room, it also takes a great deal of planning. And as a parent myself, I appreciate that particularly for patients, caregivers, and families, it takes a lot of planning to be Able to come to the meetings. And so the fact that we now know that we can use the kind of virtual aspect to cast an even, you know, to create an even bigger tent to allow people to come in and to see what people are doing and what are we all excited about, what needs to be addressed, having a stronger virtual component that we now all are comfortable with is a really important addition. And practically, in terms of, you know, what do we do next, at least for my group, the conference has spawned at least two sort of ongoing dialogues with other groups. And those are happening primarily virtually, but are sort of building up these projects that we hope will be really useful contributions to the field. So I think continuing to meet, continuing to think about what we can do together in smaller groups is going to be really valuable between the sort of biannual meetings. So another
0: key element of the conference was the Early Career Researcher Symposium. And this is an effort that has been part of research conferences in the past and a, really a key element of both the TSC Alliance's research program and the Lam Foundation's research program is identifying researchers earlier in their career and then getting them inspired to get into TSC and Lamb research. How do conferences like this, you know, inspire these young researchers and how can we we continue to foster their interest in TSC and LAM research moving forward?
1: So I think for me, I have both a very personal and a very general take on this question, because when I was starting my lab a decade ago, I was privileged to receive a TSC Alliance Early Career Researcher Targeted Grant. You know, That was the first kind of external research grant that my lab got. So it was an incredible boost of confidence for us, among other things, realizing that people thought this project was interesting and wanted to support it. But more broadly, going to the first conference to then present some of our findings from that grant also was critical in introducing me to all the other TSC researchers and understanding as somebody who did not study it during my postdoc, where are those key unanswered questions, right? Where are the gaps in the field that need to be addressed? So I think the combination of the granting programs that are focused on early career researchers plus having a conference that gives them not just the opportunity to attend, but the opportunity to present and showcase their work is really important to continuing to bring new people into the field. And You know, since I finished my own grant, I do sort of every year sort of look at the TSC Alliance page and see, oh, who are the new awardees? And it's been very exciting. You can view the progression. You can see the grant award happening, the person speaking at the conference, the paper coming out. And it's just exciting to see the return on investment happening. And you can really see that people are coming into the field and staying in it because of the early encouragement.
0: So to that point, you've kind of come full circle Now co-chairing this conference and you know creating a space for early career researchers to have the opportunity to ask questions of more seasoned researchers. How do you view your role now in terms of paying it forward and helping people establish a foothold in this field?
1: You know I'm still learning a great deal from the folks that I met not that long ago at my first conference. Are largely still in the field, so I'm still very actively learning from them and receiving mentoring from them. But some of the things that we try to do as mid-career investigators are help foster connections to people who might be interesting collaborators for those junior researchers, just to point out to them, what are some of the interesting opportunities in the field? One of the focuses of the early career researcher session at the end of the conference in the afternoon was also just talking about the logistics of starting a research lab or a clinical research program, because as anybody who has been through the process realizes, you kind of go from being a one-person expert shop as a postdoc to suddenly having to take on a huge range of sort of managerial and budgetary tasks. And that can be very daunting at the beginning. So I think one key thing that mid-career researchers can do is just to help younger researchers who are newer to the field navigate those challenges and recognize that they are navigable. You can get through them. And although it's definitely a new stage and can seem forbidding that it is possible to get through it and that you can continue to seek out effective mentors who will show you how to do it.
2: First, I agree with everything that Rebecca just said. And I think these TSC or LAM conferences, I think they are vital to the success and the engagement of early career researchers, you know, especially in this pandemic world when they otherwise don't have very many natural avenues to meet with other colleagues outside their institutions and form the collaborations that they need for future success. And as you're talking about scientific collaborations let's also acknowledge the role that friendships play in this is that as you meet other peers at these conferences you make lifelong relationships and friendships and that you may not think of it as a direct role in scientific progress but that does play a role in retention in the field and in sustaining the momentum of people in this field and we should also recognize the importance of just that aspect of bringing people together as they are early in their careers the other thing here is that you know as we bring Bring patients, scientists, clinicians together at these conferences. It is very inspiring for early career researchers when they are at a conference, they are presenting their work, they're presenting their poster, and they have half a dozen patients come up to them and thank them for working on their behalf of trying to make their lives better. That is uh, very inspiring for folks who are starting their career in the field and can make the difference between someone leaving versus staying. Those are the aspects of the conference that I think I'd like to highlight, which are vital for early career researcher success. Coming to the second part of how do we nurture them, I think it's very important that we take every opportunity we can to highlight their work, that we allow them more and more avenues to present at these conferences. And I think that we also provide avenues for them to meet with each other in informal ways. We should highlight the role that the forward thinking role from the TSC Alliance standpoint, because I think the first early career researcher symposia And this field that I can remember at least was at the 2019 TSE Alliance Conference. And the Lamb Foundation sort of replicated that, or at least planned to replicate that at the 2020 conference that ultimately did not happen because of the pandemic. But one of the things we did retain from that conference was that we took the Early Career Researcher Symposia and at least made sure that that happened in a virtual format, even if the rest of the conference didn't. And then of course we had an Early Career Researcher Symposia this conference in October 2021, and more recently in collaboration with Hilary Lamb and Harry Philippakis, we've organized the Lamb Foundation Early Career Researcher Network, where they have formed a Slack channel to communicate with other peers at similar levels, and they have informal meetings every two months to discuss their work, to troubleshoot problems, and just in general form a new connections and collaborations. And I think we need to just keep finding other avenues, similar or other out-of-the-box ideas to just continually nurture and promote
0: them. So I know that we talked a little bit already about continuing the momentum from this conference, but more tangibly and more specifically, now that we're almost two months out, how do we start building? You know, How do we start implementing some of the technologies that were presented to answer some of the questions that were posed? How do we really create opportunities to connect in between research conferences to keep conversations going?
2: Great question. I wish I had a great answer for that. I don't have a good solution for it. You know, one of the things we discussed at the conference, for example, was the importance of sharing data and sharing data freely across investigators. I think if we make concrete progress on that standpoint, that sort of naturally accelerates the research and helps people connect with each other. And the one example that I'll give is the example of the work on the lamp cell atlas, where the idea is to collate all of the data that is currently being generated by single cell analysis into one central place online portal that is easily and freely accessible to investigators in the field. An endeavor like this reduces a lot of barriers for people who are trying to enter the field, for people who are trying to enter a new line of investigation, and they just want to get some preliminary data for hypothesis generation. So I think endeavors like this, which become central resources for the community at large, to me, I think is perhaps the low hanging fruit to move us forward in this direction.
1: One of the ideas was also mentioned building on the example of the LAM cell atlas. One of the ideas that was mentioned in a breakout session is for some types of data that are coming out now, there are additional bigger data repositories. So not just focused on TSC or LAM data sets, but a place where data can be made publicly available. That's very useful and it's great that institutions like the NIH and others have put in the big investment to set those up, to make them accessible. The challenge then is that somebody who is particularly focused on TSC or LAM, it can be difficult to track all of those data sets and to know that they exist. So one role that was suggested for the TSC Alliance and the LAM Foundation is simply to help us sort of curate a listing of those data sets, just so that if you are interested in our field specifically, that you have a little bit more of a guide to where to find that information. <laughs> and the second idea that came out of the breakout sessions that I think is something actionable with the sort of right number of instructors is to offer some level of sort of beginner training to help people who are interested in working with larger data sets, but may have come from a different research background. Right? So coming back to learning tools and all the new tools that are coming out, helping researchers who want to learn some of those new tools begin to become in using them, right? So that they can access those data sets and start to ask some of their own research questions. Or even if they're working with another group that is more focused on complex analyses, that the two groups can have a really effective conversation because they have a common vocabulary, right? So sort of helping people get to that point where they can have those discussions and know where to look for the information.
0: My final question for both of you is my favorite question to ask a researcher whenever I have the opportunity to. In your mind, what's the next big frontier in TSC or LAM research? And what are you most excited about?
1: I'm excited about so many things. As I said before, I do think it's an amazing time in both basic research and clinical research in that you can ask almost any question (laughs) and new approaches are coming out so quickly that it becomes more about, okay, what is the most pressing question to ask and how broadly does it apply? So for me, one of the things that I am most excited about in TSC and LAM research is to start to think about it in an even more highly, personalized way. So what I mean by that is, again, coming back to what we kind of discussed at the beginning about tissue and organ specific manifestations of the effects of these mutant cells. And also understanding, you know, there are many different potential mutations in TSC1 or TSC2, and it's likely that they should not all be treated equally from a cell biology perspective. And so understanding, you know, if we get sequencing data back for a patient and we know what the relevant mutation is, how do we think about treatment, how do we think about likely disease manifestations or things that they are more or less likely to experience?
2: There are so many things that I could speak to this, but I'll talk about just three things here. One is I think I'm excited about, and I think we need to go towards a understanding of the tumor as a whole and perhaps move a little bit Beyond just the focus on the mTOR signaling. And I think that's one of the next frontiers for us from a lamb specific standpoint. You know, I think we need to definitively answer the question of female sex hormones and the disease pathogenesis. That's a question that the field has been grappling with and we have sort of danced around it for years and years. But I think we need to pay concerted attention to this and try to answer this one way or the other in the near future. And the third thing I think is that we need to think think. think about novel clinical trial design. I think that's an area where there is increasingly sort of a gap between the pace at which new discoveries are happening in the preclinical field and perhaps their lack of equally rapid translation in the clinical arena. And one of the things that is limiting us in the LAM field is that I think we don't have the rightly designed clinical trials to answer the questions regarding whether what we are seeing in the lab is truly applicable to humans or not. And so that's something else I think we need to actively work on in the near future. So those are the three things I want to highlight. Since I also have the mic and I'm talking about trials, I want to have just a little bit of a tangent, which is that I want to make a pitch or a plea, if you will, to the patient community regarding one specific trial called MILD. And for folks who are not of this trial, this is a trial that is aimed to answer the question, is early administration of serolimus before you have considerable lung function decline helpful to preserve lung function for the future? The reason this question is important is that as we all know from the MILES trial, that serolimus is effective. But that trial included patients that had a lung function that was 70% or less. So the question that we haven't answered is, if we start the treatment early, can we prevent this lung function decline? Which makes intuitive sense. It has to be balanced, though, with the fact that you have to take serolimus for a long duration of time, and do you now incur more possibility the side effects by taking it longer? So we are trying to address this question by this trial called MILD, where we are taking patients with LAM who have a lung function more than 70% are not on current treatment and we are randomizing them to low-dose serolimus versus placebo to try to answer this question better for the future. I think in the field of LAM and especially as it pertains to serolimus, that's the next biggest question that we need to answer. So having said all of this, my plea to everyone who's listening to this podcast is if you have LAM and you have normal lung function and you are not on treatment, please consider enrolling in mild. We still need subjects to try to meaningfully answer this question. And if you you think you might be interested, please contact us. We'll be happy to walk through your case on a one-on-one basis to determine your eligibility and try to see if you would be able to enroll in the study.
0: Thank you for sharing information about that important study. And I'll be sure to include information about the study in the show notes too, so that people can know where to go to ask more questions and to get involved. And I think, you know, that's a great pitch because it's part of the larger conversation about preventative medicine and personalized medicine and all of these big ideas that were really talked about as part of this conference. So I want to thank the two of you for co-chairing and for leading this, you know, really important and innovative and exciting discussion with our researchers and TSC and LAM. And thank you for the work that you do every day to help move the field forward. And finally, thank you for talking to me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. My thanks again to Nishant and Rebecca for sharing their insights from the conference and what future areas of research most excite them and have the promise to change the course of TSC and LAM for those affected. They both represent the collaborative spirit of the TSC and LAM research community, and we are so lucky to have such dedicated and compassionate scientists committed to learning more about TSC and LAM and ultimately to improving lives. I'd also like to extend thanks to the sponsors of the conference whose generous support made it possible. Greenwich Biosciences, the Rothberg Institute for childhood diseases, Nobel Pharma, UCB, Psychogenics, Upshur Smith Laboratories, Noema Pharma, Seizure Tracker, Bridge Bio, and Novartis. At the end of our conversation, Nishant plugged the MILD trial for women with LAM who have normal lung function. If you are interested in learning more about that trial, please visit www.thelamfoundation.org MILD. Finally, before putting a bow on another year of TSC Now, I have a couple of housekeeping items. First, the TSC Alliance is now accepting nominations for our annual Volunteer of the Year awards. This is our way of recognizing the incredible work of our community leaders who make everything we do possible. So if you want to nominate someone who supported you this year, please visit our website to learn how to submit your nomination. Second, be on the lookout early next year for information on both the 20th anniversary of Comedy for a Cure and the 20th anniversary of Step Forward to Cure TSC. Comedy will be in person in Hollywood, California in April. And the Step Forward to Cure TSC Walk, Run, Ride will be a hybrid event this year, the weekend of TSC Global Awareness Day. So May 13th through 15th. Information on how to participate in these two events is coming soon. Finally, if you hadn't heard, the TSC Alliance will be hosting a World TSC Conference next year, July 28th through 31st at the Hilton Anatol in Dallas, Texas. You can book your room right right now. And conference registration opens up January 3rd. I'll include information about the conference in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. That will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It really does mean a lot to me. I hope you and yours have a happy holiday season and a hopeful start to the new year. Thank you for listening to TSE Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.